From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. The Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital has a new leader, and he's with me in the HealthLink on Air studio. Welcome, Dr. Gregory Connors. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here this morning. Well, I'd like to start by introducing you. Um, if I understand correctly, you're a native of Pittsburgh in the Rochester area. You went to Amherst College in Massachusetts, and then you got your medical degree from SUNY Stony Brook, right? Those are right, yeah. Um, your residency in pediatrics and then a fellowship in pediatric emergency medicine at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. And then you also have a master's of public health and a master's of business administration. You come to Upstate by way of Kansas City, Missouri, where you worked at Children's Mercy Hospital, which is part of the uh, University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Medicine. Wow, you've been reading about me. Thanks. (laughs) Well, welcome to Syracuse. Thanks. So what drew you to pediatrics in the first place? Oh, well, it was kind of an easy decision. Um, I actually, if you looked at my medical school applications, they don't say I want to go to medical school. They say I want to be a pediatrician. So that was something I wanted to do from the beginning. In fact... As you, as you mentioned, I went to Stony Brook, and I later found out that of my class of 196 people didn't know what they wanted to go into when they started medical school, and I was one of the four who did. I knew I wanted to be in pediatrics. So why? I guess I've always been a kid guy, you know, kind of making friends with the kids, sitting at the kids' table at family events, you know, that kind of thing. I think I just kind of blessed or, or, or um, learned along the way just to have a good rapport with the kids. So I think I get along well with kids and they get along well with me. Um, the trick actually was dealing with, you know, parents and families. Right, there's it's not just can, kids. Right. And when that started working out well too, I said, you know, I'm gonna go into pediatrics. It seemed like a good way to blend um, kind of a kid interest, kid being a kid friendly guy, and then also the the science and the helping people aspects of that I was looking for in a career too. I tell you what, it's been working out pretty well so far. So. <laughs> and it's especially it's kind of general. I mean, you cover all sorts of things within pediatrics. Right, so. right. Yeah. And and uh, pediatric emergency medicine in particular, I chose because it does cover all kinds of things. So I'm not a lung specialist or a, right. you know, a kidney specialist. I see lung stuff and kidney stuff and lots of other things too. To me, it's the good stuff in pediatrics and exciting. So it's been a really good, really good fit. Well, I know in your background, too, you're involved in, you've been involved in a lot of research along the way. Is that, because I wonder why you would want to lead an academic children's hospital. Yeah. um, After training, sort of the career aspect, you know, the real job stuff, being real interested in being what I would call a professor, meaning Mm -hmm. taking care in the medical school context. So people, when you think of professor, you think of an educator and definitely interested in that and also doing research and interested in that. But also, of course, taking care of patients as a substantial portion. And those are kind of the three missions of a medical school in general. And so I really embraced all of those. So for me, it was a it was a real nice fit. Um, as far as research, maybe we'll talk more about it later. But I had uh, thought of research before my training years as something you did in a, like a laboratory or maybe a... Um, Trying, you know, trying one medication against another medication in a real form, in, in a randomized clinical trial, real, real strict setting, and all that wasn't for me. But it turns out there's whole other kinds of research that I didn't know about that really kind of uh, attracted me as a trainee. So I was interested in learning more about doing that kind of stuff. That's what led to my master's in public health. Was really training, and I thought of it as a research degree, learning how to how to do that kind of research better. So. Neat. 
Well, now that you're in central New York and in the community here, what do you see as the top pediatric concerns here in this community? Uh, Well, and I I guess I want to talk about the Children's Hospital in the context of that. Um, that, I think that that, uh, pediatrics, actually this has happened in many communities, but pediatrics, especially hospital-based pediatrics in this part of the state, has really become focused on the at the Golson Children's Hospital. A lot of the other hospitals in town that used to do some sort of simple in in hospital pediatrics have quit doing that. They've moved on to other things, kind of conceding the pediatric uh, hospital market to us, mm-hmm. which is which is great. We feel like we're the experts, um, but we have to be really good at just about everything now because we're the ones doing it. Um, and lots of pediatricians in town, and I don't mean that we're the only ones doing pediatrics. But I mean, the hospital-based care in general. Sure. And, and you asked me something earlier that I didn't really completely answer yet, which is why I would want to lead a setting like that. But And I think that the reason is that it's because it's really important to the community and to the children in particular. And I just, I, f- I feel a passion for helping the um, helping the kids. Like I said, I'm, you know, I'm a kid guy, but but I really want to do right by children and families. And I could see that that different children's hospitals in different cities are different. In different places, but this one seemed like it had a nice fit for me. And, and as you mentioned, I'm from the, the region, and so it had special special meaning for me. Um, so some of the things that I really want to work on, and I think we can work on. Number one is space. The um, the as you look at the children's hospital from the street or from outside, I think I think of the children's hospitals being the whole medical center, anywhere that there's kids being taken care of. But I think a lot of people look at it as being the thing that you see when you look at it from the street. The treehouse the, the, part. The treehouse part, the 11th and 12th floor. And they are beautiful, um, wonderful class. They're, they're patient rooms, which are great. But I don't know if everybody knows, but there's aquaria and there's play things and there's classrooms so kids who are in the hospital for a while can continue to go to school. and All kinds of, all kinds of that's just one example, all kinds of special things like that. And I really love those. Um, but we have 71 beds for kids, and we probably need more. <laughs> so I want to figure out a way pretty to, full a lot of the times. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's pretty common to have, well, 71 or maybe 66. And the other few beds that are open are not just general beds. They're specific for certain things, mm-hmm. so we can't use them that well. So we, need, we really need to consider how we can grow in a, in a way that doesn't throw away our, our wonderful resources that we currently have, but, you know, expands them. I'll also just tell you that... Um, Kind of the twin concerns of mental health in children and teens, and de- twinned with developmental disabilities. And I'm thinking about like autism and those sort of things. Mm-hmm. They're both they both to me they're related, and you can see how they're both kind of uh, 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 in the realm of developmental pediatricians or psychiatrists, psychologists, and they they both seem to be growing, either more either more recognized or actually occurring more or both. And so we're really, really stressed with dealing with, with both of those growing entities. We really need to not throw up our hands and say, wow, this is terrible, but figure out a way to embrace that. I mean, I think we're doing really well with other things, but let's embrace taking care of those patients who can be rough to take care of and, uh, and learn how to do it better. So um, as a pediatric emergency physician in particular, I see lots of emergency department visits here at Upstate and other places. This is common all across the country. Every day, patients with autism and in some kind of crisis or suicidality, depression, anxiety, those kind of things. And they're, they're big big issues here, so we really need to address those. Okay. 
Uh, let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Gregory Connors. He's the new professor and chair of pediatrics at the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital, which I should say the Children's Hospital is turning 10 this year. Um, and in some ways, it's hard to imagine what life was like here in Syracuse without a dedicated children's hospital. We've added in 10 years pediatric specialists and services we didn't have before. Um, but of course, medicine is an ever-evolving field. So let me ask you what you foresee in the near future in terms of changes and improvements. Sure, Maybe. and we're very excited about the 10th anniversary and having some uh, birthday celebrations to to honor it. And of course, I wasn't here then 10 years ago when it was started, but I've heard enough that I feel like I know what, what went on and what some of the the struggles and challenges and, and, and successes were from that period. So I'm really interested in continuing to grow that legacy um, and trying to look forward for the next 10 years and beyond. I'll tell you one thing that comes to mind when I think about that is, is some of the really specialized areas of pediatrics and and medicine in general, we're getting, you know, primary care, general care of kids is always going to be there and hugely important. But along the way, we're getting more and more sophisticated in how to take care of certain things that we never could care for before. The problem is that they had they they sometimes are are very high tech, very expensive, and sometimes there's not a lot of patients who need that sort of care right in the Syracuse area enough that it's that it makes sense to have a, a specialist or two or three or the big machines that take care of those kind of patients in every single city. Sure. So have one in Buffalo, have one in Rochester, have one in Syracuse, have one in Albany and, get, and so forth. So what we're working on, and it's not easy, is to regionalize, that's the word, to group together so that there are ways to take care of kids with really high-tech needs or very specialized needs Without having, without making them travel to Seattle or somewhere like that, we can we can get together be, between all of us in upstate New York. We can work together to regionalize care for some of these important but not really common or high tech um, needs. And we're actually starting to do that. Actually, on Friday, the the um, leaders of the children's hospitals, uh, well, me, but then also in Albany and then in Rochester and Buffalo, we're all getting together to talk about this in in Rochester. But we've already been working together and fortunately we all know each other and we're um, we're able to work together on that as you might imagine there's a lot of pride in running your own place and, sure. and being freestanding and autonomous and saying we're good enough on our own but I think it's important to realize that we're great but there are some areas that it's not a matter of greatness it's a matter of economies of scale and doing the right things for patients so I think we can work together to be proud of what we can do collectively just like we can do independently and we're not just making this up. There are other places that are doing the same kind of things. And I think this is what the future holds for uh, you know, a, a, a medium to smaller size city like Syracuse. Well, it seems like it would require a lot of collaboration. And yeah. if you're doing that, you know, good things will come. Yeah, and you know, communication and other things, being willing to, to work together and maybe let someone else take the lead on something, which, is, which can be a little bit hard on the ego and the pride. But we need to work together so that we're all on the same team. Well, the leader of an academic children's hospital has basically four areas on which to concentrate, providing medical care, providing education, conducting research, and being a good community partner. So let's talk about what you've learned about these areas, um, you know, since you've been here. Are the kids in central New York who need medical care getting it in the appropriate place? Um, I know you've done research and written papers about the importance of 
they call it the medical home. Yeah, so the medical home is a really important concept, and sometimes even better to call it the patient-centered medical home, which is a certain kind of credentialing that, that is actually a national credential that's not easy to get. But and the reason I mention it is that Upstate Pediatrics, uh, the Department of Pediatrics here at Upstate has two primary care centers. One is called Upstate Pediatric and Adolescent Center, and the other is called Upstate Pediatrics. That one's in Baldwinsville. The first one is right around the corner from the University Hospital building. Both of those are are accredited patient-centered medical homes, which was not easy to do, both to get and then to keep the accreditation. But it's it's the right thing. It reflects that we're doing the right things, involving patients and their families in kids' care rather than ordering them to do this and do that. And also flexibility of scheduling and and so forth. I think we're doing the right thing for primary care of, of kids. We also are partnering with primary care physicians in the community, pediatricians, and then family practitioners and other folks too who take care of kids. Um, you mentioned the four things that, that an academic children's hospital needs to focus on, and I agree, but I think you had them in the right order too in that the providing medical care seems to always come first. And, I'll, and I've been leading the children's hospital now for three months and two days, and I would say I've spent you know, three quarters of that time or more focusing on this, um, the, the, the actual provision of medical care to children and making sure that we, that we get it right. Um, there's also, along with providing primary care, as I just mentioned, we have lots of you know, specialists in the various body parts and, and uh, ICU spe specialists, and like myself, emergency specialists and so forth. Interestingly, we, we have to study and take care, make, really pay attention to doing this right, how we interact with primary care physicians and families who send their patients to us to manage a certain problem and then not taking over, but helping the primary care physician deal with this problem, helping the family deal with this problem or challenge, and then sending them back to the primary care physician in, in a way that enhances communication. So we're smoothly, we aren't trying to be part of the medical home, we're trying to be part of what some people call the medical neighborhood. So mm. extending the concept of the medical home to mm. other folks who help out too. So for example, uh, a patient who's cared for in a primary care setting has an emergency, they come to me, I, I help stabilize that, deal with it, maybe child's hospitalized for a few days, and then we send the child back to the primary care setting and we make sure that we communicate well about what happened and arrange appropriate follow-up and all that. So we can be part of the the overall care of the child in a nice, smooth way. And I think that's that's really important. Let me, I, I want to ask you about education and research as well, but yeah. how much do you believe, because Syracuse region, um, the poverty levels here are very high. Yeah. Uh, how much do you think that impacts the health of the children living in this community? Quite a bit. Um, I, I I recognize that we have big income disparities here, and and I know that from from the medical literature and my experiences elsewhere know that this has a really dramatic effect on the health of children and families, and not just it doesn't just show up today when patients are children, when the kids are are young, and so we see them in pediatrics, but this will affect them throughout their lives if we don't. Do some make some effort to mitigate them. So I'm talking about high blood pressure later on, mental health um, uh, problems. Um, so long lasting. High, blo high blood pressure, obesity, coronary vascular disease, problems with um, employment and relationship forming. Many of these can be uh, lifelong 
can be effective for for people's lives because of the way that that they uh, that, that they experienced income disparities when they were young. So I'm not saying that we can eliminate income disparities, but being aware of the health impact, we can maybe work on affecting the uh, the health impact of the of the of that go along with income disparities. So, so that's it's an important thing for us to address. I remember speaking to one of your pediatricians who started a diaper bank. Um, yeah. And that just sort of gets at some of that. So. That's a great example. Yeah. yeah. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air, talking with the new professor and chair of the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital. Well, uh, let's get back to education. Part of the role of the pediatricians at Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital is to help train the providers of the future. Um, what do the numbers look like in terms of how many medical residents and fellows and other pediatric providers are being trained each year? Sure. So, so Upstate, of course, has a medical school, and every medical student, and there are about 160 or 170, I don't remember exactly, in each class, every medical student has a pe- required pediatric rotation, and I think it's the best thing that they do in medical school, but I'm a little biased in that. <laughs> but they all do spend several weeks doing some pediatric rotation, and that's on me and my department to make sure it's as good as it can be. So we work hard on that. And we think about it all the time. Um, and then some medical students, either from upstate or more, more likely elsewhere, will come and do their pediatrics residency with us. And what that is is a three-year training period in which someone goes from being a medical student or a brand-new physician to becoming a, a board-certified mm. pediatrician. That's a three-year process called pediatric residency. And we have um, 47 residents right now in our pediatrics department. So some in their first year, some in their second year, and so forth. Um, to me, that's the program that holds, it's the glue that holds our department together. That pediatric residents touch every aspect of what we do, and we're very proud of what we, what we do. And I think that there's a great future for our residency, too. We're really going to be, have already started, in fact, putting some energy into doing uh, doing what we can to make it as good as we can possibly make it. Um, you mentioned fellowships as well. After residency, some someone might want to do a fellowship in a, in a subspecialty like I did in pediatric emergency medicine. We have a few fellowships that we offer here at Upstate. Um, the emergency department has a pediatric emergency medicine fellowship. We also, in, in the pediatrics department, we have a fellowship in pediatric infectious diseases for for pediatricians who want to be specialists in, in managing infections in children. So after their three-year residency, they go on and do another year? Three years. Another three years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There are some there, too, but generally three years. And then they can be you know, board-certified subspecialists, experts in pediatrics and in pediatric infectious diseases. And we have another one in the uh, important field of child abuse pediatrics. Mm-hmm. So for... Uh, for those special folks who are pediatricians but want to learn more and be able to take care of the, the really the nuances and the growing number of children who who suffer from child abuse, either physical abuse or sexual abuse or neglect, or who maybe do, and we really need to get to the bottom of things. And, of course, those folks have to learn how to work with the, the law enforcement system sure. and the courts. and all. It's, it's quite a specialized area that has become its own subspecialty. So we have a fellowship in that, too. And um, we are also anticipating beginning a fellowship soon in pediatric hospital-based medicine. So uh, it's become complex enough to take care of kids in the hospital that many of our patients are cared for by specialists in pediatric hospital-based medicine, hospitalists. So we actually are anticipating offering fellowship training in that field in the Mm -hmm. near future, too. 
and maybe we'll have one or two down in the future. I don't want to, I don't have the goal of turning the children's hospital into a fellowship, fellowship heavy place, but some, some logistically. Um, makes sense for. Yeah, some, some, some that really makes sense for the place or worth, worth investing in. Well, in terms of research, um, are there areas you personally are interested in investigating? Yeah, so I, I uh, start out being interested. I, I mentioned earlier sort of steering away from test tubes and labs and that sort of thing. My first three research projects were on how to, do, how to manage kids who swallowed coins, especially pennies, and the best way to take care of them. And you'd think that would be all figured out by now because yeah. it's a pretty common thing. It's not But it turns out. out that there are lots of different ways to do it, and you can go around the country and the same patient would be cared for in different ways in different places. Really? Less so now than when I started because I, I'm pleased to say that I've had some impact in the field, but um, I've done quite a few projects trying to figure that out. It's a real neat, accessible thing that I could talk to about with anybody and everybody understands it. You know, what's the role of x-rays and not and so forth. And then I've branched out into other things like button batteries and, you know, other things kids swallow. But actually gone beyond that. So that was how I started things out. And I've actually gone along uh, beyond that in terms of um, some projects looking how do we, quality improvement, how do we do things better, take care of kids better, maybe more efficiently or more smoothly or maybe eliminate some unnecessary testing, that kind of thing, and done quite a few in that way. And then also um, the impact of real stressful situations on the emergency department or the pediatric services in general. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about like an ice storm or a, a, a big flu outbreak or some other kind of infectious diseases outbreak. And what kind of decisions do we need to make? How do we anticipate what the needs are going to be? That kind of thing. So I actually didn't intend to do that, but as I look back, I've done several projects on that. Too. And then random random other things, uh, because I'm a curious guy and interested in lots of things. But those are some of the main areas. This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Gregory Connors. He's the new professor and chair of pediatrics at Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital. And I've got to ask you more about those coins, because okay. um, that's got to be a real common thing with a yeah. kid eating a, a penny or a quarter or whatever. Um, what do you what do you advise parents to do? And then I want to ask you about what um, medical providers are supposed to do. Um, so if a so so it's a pretty common thing. If a child swallows a coin and and uh, the family knows about it, which is not always the case, oh. um, then uh, I you know the first thing to do is to look at the child if they're having trouble in any way, breathing, vomiting, can't swallow their own spit, you know, having complaining of pain. Those kids should probably come to the emergency department. Um, if they seem to be doing just fine, as most do, I think you're still welcome to come to the emergency department, but I don't think that that's necessarily required unless the child is known to have other health problems. So but, if but your child, the, if you watch them and they swallow a penny, yeah. but they're breathing fine and swallowing fine and everything, will the penny just go through their system? Yeah, so I would suggest that that, that little kind of folks contact their primary care physician and work out a plan because the answer to your question is yes, most of the time they will, but not every time. So the, so the primary care physician can help talk about what the things are to watch for and if you see them, what to do next. But, the th- you know, just in general, the things, actually what I said is are, are the symptoms. Let me just tell you that the problem, when there is a problem, is that the coin will maybe get stuck somewhere along the way. Most of the time it comes right through. And, uh, you okay. know, so um, 
there's a little joke about that about watching for change in the stool. But uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, sometimes it'll get stuck somewhere, often in the throat, you know, in the esophagus. And then what you'll see is kids having pain when they swallow or refusing to swallow, or maybe drooling because they can't even swallow their own secretions anymore. Um, so if you see something suggesting that something is blocking, maybe vomiting, then then that's a more urgent situation that we need to take care of. Now those are for coins for button batteries. Let me just make the point. Like a watch battery, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes called a disc battery. Those, Those tiny little... Tiny little things, mm-hmm. and they really pack a powerful charge, electrical charge. Those are different. So those ones I would suggest, if your child swallows one of those, just bring them on into the emergency department. And don't wait, I would say come right in. To, because those things in a matter of hours can cause real difficulty, where a coin is not going to do that. And the same thing is true, by the way, if the battery goes in the nose or the ear or the vagina or somewhere else like that. Those we need to see pretty quickly. And they need yeah. to come out. They need to come out, okay. or we need to know where they are. If they're swallowed and they're working their way through, that's okay, but we need to know that that's the case. So a button battery is a little different. So with coins and you get to the emergency department, will, they, will there be an X-ray? Will the doctor have to remove something? How- Typically we'll get an X-ray or two, and uh, if it is stuck somewhere, like stuck in the throat, in the esophagus, that will probably go on and get removed. Most of the time, though, we see it... In the stomach, or even lower, and it's on its way through, and we can just advise people, go home. You can go and home, and it'll yeah. it'll pass. But come come back if you see this this or that. Some of the symptoms I describe. So yeah, usually an X-ray, and and some need to be removed if they're in a problem situation. But most are not. So I know you're a father. Um, let me ask your advice for parents and grandparents who need to take a child to the emergency room. Any advice for making that visit go smoothly? Sure, sure. And you're right. I have four kids, uh, including my triplets. Um, so yeah, we've had a few visits to we have we have uh, two boys and two girls, and we've had a few visits to the emergency department ourselves. So I've been on both sides of the table on that. Um, yeah, so let's see advice. I would suggest that the person who, if you can, the person who brings the child into the emergency department or acute care setting knows the story of the patient and the events that lead up to the visit, and that sort of seems obvious. But sometimes people will send. A certain person who maybe somebody comes home and then they're the ones who takes them in and they don't even know what happened oh. or they don't know how sick the child has been but it's more convenient for them and that's okay but you know we're going to rely in pediatrics you really rely heavily on the history and the story which and the so parent the person usually doesn't has to know right. uh, that is, is harder to manage not that we can't but it's harder to manage now you know if the person's available by phone or something that's okay too but it's important for us to know what the background is to the child and to the situation. Um, I think also feeling like the person is a is a partner with the healthcare team rather than against or conceding all everything to the healthcare. You know, you're the doctor. Do what you think is right. Kind of is kind of it. I think working together in a partnership. This is what I know. This is what you know. Back and forth is really the the best way to go. Um, we know a lot about sort of the body and the medical aspects. The family knows about the patient, and there is the best approach. And and given that, um, feeling free to ask questions, to try to understand. I think if somebody leaves the emergency department, they don't understand what went on, and they don't know what the diagnosis was or what to do next, things could have gone better. So so we need to we need to work together in that way. And I do know that sometimes we think that that's the case, and it isn't. So so it's important to really really think about that. Make it sure we're a team and that we all understand each other's perspectives. You'll go a lot, 
for the, I think an emergency department visit will be a lot better in that situation. Okay. What do you think about the use of urgent care clinics or um, retail clinics? Sure. And I had the privilege of um, writing the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, position statement on those. So, so and be, being part of the team that wrote that. So I uh, know a lot about it, especially in terms of kids. So um, first, I'll just point out the difference. Um, a retail-based clinic is a clinic that's, well, it's retail, based in a retail establishment. Often you'll see them in a, like a drugstore setting hmm. or maybe a, um, a big uh, general uh, department store. And they'll be at sort of the corner where you can go and check in and be seen. So that's a retail-based clinic. And then an urgent care center tends to be just that by itself. So you might, you might see those on the, on the, um, in the neighborhood, but they're not part of a bigger store within within the store and I, and I mentioned that because urgent care centers tend to be a little different they tend to offer more things be more um, a little higher level of care but not not to the level of an emergency department um, so my answer to are those good I mean are those good places for kids or not and the answer is sometimes they have to do it right uh, we know that some of some of those places tend to not be skilled in the care of children sometimes, and uh, maybe overprescribed from my perspective, or or um, not totally understand what they're getting into. Uh, many places won't see a child under a certain age or with mm-hmm. a certain story, and I really respect that that they know what their limits are and they and they will refer the child to an emergency department. So I really respect that. On the other hand, I used to run. Um, uh, three urgent care centers for children in my previous position, I oversaw those, and, and I know that we did a great job. I know that urgent care centers can do a great job for children. They just have to really have expertise and be willing to know their limits, know what they can do and what they can't do, and be really willing to communicate with back with the primary care physician. And if, if the patient is too sick or out of their league, that they know how to effectively transfer the care of the patient to an emergency department or someplace else. Um, I think that urgent care in particular can be done really well for children as long as it's done very well for children. <laughs> and, and that's kept in mind. And that's pretty much detailed in the American Academy of Pediatrics statements that I would Neat. have people refer to if they want to know more. Well, this has been a terrific conversation. I appreciate you letting the community get to know you. My guest has been Dr. Gregory Connors, the new professor and chair of pediatrics at the Upstate Golisano Children's Hospital, which is celebrating its 10th birthday this year. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.